0: My name is Michael Kaiser and I'm John Wilson and welcome to another episode of make ours Marvel.
1: This is the 139th episode of the podcast that takes you on a journey through all of these superhero adventures of the classic Marvel Comics universe. That's the MCU to those who don't know and uh, wait, whoops, <laughs> maybe not but um we started way back in the Fantastic Four number one in 1961 with episode number one. And we have made it all the way to November of 1966. Another calendar year is almost behind us. And we have four comics we're talking about tonight. Uh, those are going to be Thor 136. Big stuff happens for Thor today. Tales to Astonish 88. Amazing Spider-Man 45 and wait. wait no, 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 no,
0: you're scaring me. Okay. Yeah, I
1: tapped something and it didn't come up right. So I'm sorry. Okay. I actually tapped Astonish 88 and the Spider-Man <laughs> cover came up. So I'm not sure what it's happened like, there, but Daredevil 24, <laughs> hey, no Spider-Man today good. and the X-Men 28.
0: There's a little Spider-Man in Daredevil 24, but not a whole Spider-Man, Spider-Man.
1: Oh, that's right. Cause that's where that comes in. Yep. Okay. Alrighty. All right,
0: so normally you kick things off, but since we had five issues last episode, that screws everything up, and now I have to start tonight.
1: Haha, ha, it's your turn now. So
0: Thor 136 to become an immortal, featuring the uncanny menace of him who is unknown. Oh no, not another pronoun. Okay. <laughs> Wait, no, no,
1: him is in Fantastic Four 66. That's down the road. That's later. What is this? I'm confused.
0: I actually am thinking right now, That I guess I don't remember this comic very well because who the heck is him? But we'll find out in a second. I'm sure it'll all come back to me. Uh, A proud phantasmagoria of pageantry presented by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, delineated by Vince Coletta, lettered by Artie Simek, atop a towering mountain peak somewhere in Europe, the mighty Thor and lovely Jane Foster, the mortal who has won his heart. Prepare for what is destined to be the most fateful journey they have ever taken and now be thou prepared for thrills and wonderment beyond mortal Ken. I totally remember who him is now. See? It all came back to me. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, they're on top of this mountain. If we all call recall last issue, he just, like, helped the high evolutionary beat up his whoopsie with the werewolf thing. And they all left, the two of them here. So they're standing on a mountain. It looks really epic. And now Thor's like, finally, now that you're not teaching weird giraffes and stuff, we can be together. I swear to you, Jane, I will never leave your side ever again because that is feasible. And then he (laughs) creates a whirlwind and he takes her to Asgard and he says, Behold, the most beautiful thing in all the world. But at that moment on the Rainbow Bridge, a battalion is coming back or leaving one of the two. I think coming back. But anyway, I guess the trolls are out of control. Out of control. Out of control. And uh, we should make that a t-shirt. Out of control. Um and 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 Odin like sent all these Asgardians to go beat them up and they've even got like one prisoner that's like hog tied to a something or other and anyway she freaks out because she's surrounded by all these warriors and horses and stuff so she clings to Thor and she's like oh I'm so scared I don't want to look and he's like no you must look you must get you must get used to looking at the fantastical if you want to be with me so already conditions and he's like anyway by the way here's my best friend Hemdil and she turns around and Hemdil's like eight foot tall and he's got. A helmet with big giant horns and he's got a giant sword and he's got a shield with a big old H on it. And so she gasps and goes, I'm just a mere mortal. He's like, ah, well, Oh, for two, but let's go to the castle or let's go to Asgard itself. The heart of Asgard. Let's go meet my daddy. So they go in there and he's, and Odin's in the war room and he's all ward out looking. Um, and he's like, and Thor's like, Hey, this is Jane. That's been bothering you for so long. He's like, ah, Jane, uh, you look ravishing. Let me kiss your hand. And by the way, I've agreed to let you live here and be with Thor forever, but that means you have to be an immortal. So step one of that is I'm going to change your outfit into something more Asgardian. So he does that by shooting her with that thing that he has, that whatever it's called. Um, and she does look more Asgardian. She's like, oh my God, this is so weird. And he's like, oh, and step two, if you're going to be immortal and be with my son, you have to have power. So I will give you a power. I will give you the power of flight. So just think about flying, and you can fly. And so she does. And at first she's like, this is kind of neat. Like, I've always wanted to fly. But then she starts thinking, but is not really possible to just suddenly be able to fly, right? And what if I suddenly can't fly anymore? I mean, will I fall to my death? And so as she's thinking that, she psychs her power out, and she starts falling to her death. So Thor, you know, flies after her and saves her. And Odin's like, hmm, she's not making a very good immortal so far. I know. Come over here, peon. I want you to uh, uh, bring forth the unknown, which I guess is what him is. And to bring forth the unknown, the peon has to hit like a uh, pitchfork, giant crystal pitchfork thing, because the unknown is attracted to the vibrations of giant crystal pitchforks. So he does that, and then they just push Jane into a room and lock the door, and it's all dark. And even Thor is fine with this. (laughs) And she's freaking out. And the unknown is this big giant purple monster, and it attacks her, and she doesn't fly away because, you know, she's had flight power for five whole seconds, and it's not really second nature or anything. And the thing's about to kill her, so Thor opens up the door, and he takes on the beast. It takes him, like, eight thwacks to kill this thing, even though they all expected Jane to be able to handle it. Um, and she just runs for her life, and then she's, like, on the ground crying, like, I just want to go home. I just want to be a nurse. This is insane. And Odin's like, Yeah. You know, we tried for five minutes, but you you just can't be an immortal. Forget it. I'm going to send you home. And Thor's like, no, but don't. And she's like, no, I've spoken. And he sends her to Earth. And Thor's like, you, you did all this on purpose. You never wanted her to be immortal. You made all these tests unfair. And, you know, she's not, she's not a warrior like us and stuff, but that's okay. I still like her. Why can't she just be, like, a nice person who hangs around and is nice? And Odin, like, shows off his wrath um and becomes like this big giant fiery beast and says how dare you question me and Thor's like okay okay I'm sorry um he says anyway the uh, unknown has escaped and is going to the pitchfork forest so I want I'm going to send you there by teleportation and you can take on the unknown and capture him back for me okay and Thor's like you know go ahead and send me and I hope the unknown kills me because I just cannot live without Jane so I'd rather lose this fight I'm I'm going to go, I'm going to do what you say, but I really hope I just die. Um, And so he gets teleported to the Pitchfork Crystal Forest and he's uh, fighting the unknown. Not well, not heartily. He's kind of just like, whatever about it. Meanwhile, Jane gets teleported to a hospital. She's like, how did I get here? I don't remember anything. And this nurse comes up and goes, oh, we've been expecting you. The doctor wants to interview you. She's like, huh, doctor? Okay, doctor. And this really handsome, blonde, Steve Rogers-looking guy named Dr. Kincaid is like, yes, i like to thoroughly analyze all my future employees. And she's like, and how? And I guess that's like Odin's way of getting rid of her. So anyway, Thor, back to Thor. He's fighting the Endone, and he's dying, or losing, because he doesn't really care. And then all of a sudden... This shadowy figure with a sword comes in and says, come on, keep fighting. If you don't fight, this thing's going to kill me. You don't want that, do you? And Thor's like, no, actually, I don't want that. Now I have motivation because I'm a hero. And he helps this person win. And he turns around and it's a female. And she's dressed all in white and she's got a sword. And he's like, I know you, don't I? She's like, yes, I'm Baldur's little sister. And he's like, wow, you've really grown. And she's like, yes, yes, I have. And he's like, well, I'm sad because of love. And she's like, well, I've been sad because of love, too. And they're like, yay. And then they hold hands and they walk away. And at the end of the story is Odin watching the TV going, it all went according to plan. The end. (sighs) Right? That's the only perfect response to this story. I don't know.
1: The idea, like the bare bones idea of this story is half decent. Uh And that is that. Jane goes to Asgard for whatever reason. She doesn't, you know, cut it as an immortal. Mm-hmm. She gets sent home, and Thor moves on with his life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's only half decent because even that is less than it should be. But it's kind of the only way the story could end unless they actually got together. And Marvel comics just didn't
0: do that at this time.
1: So but but page it makes four- it so much worse. So, so page ahead.
0: four. The caption on page fourteen says, "We bid adieu to lovely Jane Foster." Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So I'm assuming that means we are saying goodbye to Jane Foster for the foreseeable future.
1: Yes. Um which, I actually made a note about that. Go ahead. Which
0: means you and I have covered the beginnings of Jane Foster on the show now from start to this finish. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me wonder like, why then is Jane Foster such the lowest lane of Thor when nothing really ever happened with her? You That's know, a they went on really one date. One date that I can think of.
1: Um it's and it's not that she doesn't come back. Of course, she, yeah. she even comes back for stretches. But in this volume of Thor, this this series that goes to 502 issues, mm-hmm. we have read over half her appearances.
0: Yeah, because we've seen her
1: in 46 issues, and she only has 30 odd more between now and you know whatever this issue. when this? When does this series get rebooted? Is it 90s around? Um, is it around Heroes Reborn, Heroes Return, or is it around yeah. Civil War?
0: No, Heroes Reborn, Heroes Return. With John right. Jr., I think.
1: Yeah. So, between now and then, we've already done like over half her appearances. Like, and, six, and that's 60%. not to say
0: that you know, in the future, she isn't written well by somebody. I don't know. I actually, I do know because I've read her Jane Foster Thor stuff. Some of it, it's that's really great. Mm-hmm. But it just makes me wonder, like, why did why do future writers think? Oh, I really want to tackle Jane Foster. Like, she's part of this mythology. When really, she just was so nothing in a way.
1: And I like your question. Why is she more the Lois Lane, and why isn't she the Betty Brandt?
0: Yeah, the first love
1: that got discarded. No one, no one goes and tries to get Peter and Betty back together again. Right. But we do, for some reason, have this idea that he and Jane should be together.
0: And you know, to compare her to Betty Brandt even is is crazy in a way because, like, Betty had so much more interesting things going on with her. Right. Like this is poorly written, occasionally too crazy for
1: believable, but still more interesting.
0: Yeah. Like they actually had a dramatic relationship that, that, that had a beginning, middle and end. And this is just like, it's like, if you really, it's like, they're just getting rid of her. This story just totally screams. We need to get rid of her. Mm -hmm. We have nothing. We don't know what to do with her. We've run out of reasons for them not to be together. So let's just get rid of her.
1: And I don't think I used to hate it, but really I kind of do now. Mm -hmm. Um, She's so fearful and timid and wilting at every turn. In the and story in,
0: or all yeah, in this the story. Time. Yeah. But can you blame her? I mean, well, I
1: mean they, they they do throw to
0: but she as a
1: human being, she should not have cowered in fear at a passing army. Freaked out over Whoa. the hanging troll maybe. Yeah. Odin does close her into the seven minutes of heaven with a terrifying death beast. <laughs>
0: For no reason. (laughs) That was the worst part. Like, not even Thor is helping her out there. He's helping push. Right. And, like,
1: that is the one part that she should have freaked out about. But, A, why do you choose to do the absolute worst, most intense possible test at somebody who looks like she's already having a hard time coping? That's like me as a middle school teacher taking my student who's having an anxiety attack and giving her a pop quiz.
0: And it takes Thor four panels to beat that thing. Like, what was she supposed to do? hmm Fly, I guess? Just hover there and not get caught? I don't know.
1: So is he lying through his teeth to Thor?
0: I think he literally, what is he, or I think, I don't know what he says. I know Thor is on to him. Well, he tells Thor that this is
1: all, like, he, he really wanted them to be together, and this was all, like, you know, on oh, the up and up.
0: But no, I, I think he's think, lying. Yeah. I think Thor's right that he never intended her to be an immortal. And by the way, Thor's not immortal. They're kind of throwing this word around, and I don't know if they've established yet that Asgardians aren't immortal, but they're not. Um, so, but they pretty much are. But they're not.
1: They pretty much are, but they're but they're not right. They have the whole idea that gods can die, but but they don't die, right? Hmm. Um. So then, <laughs> Odin wipes her mind.
0: Not only wipes her mind, but somehow makes it so this hospital thinks that she's there for an interview. and Right, he puts her in a position. Okay,
1: so that part, as far as Odin goes, I didn't mind too much. Because at least he's putting her in a position in life that she can actually feel like she's supposed to go on. It's the fact that it's a completely artificial thing for her that's, mm-hmm. that's the problem. Then she goes, falls in love with a Don Blake lookalike.
0: Right. This is just like Don Blake without the lame.
1: Right, and now, then <laughs> and then
0: I was thinking, like, is that like something Odin can do because he created Don Blake and he create other Don Blakes, or I don't know.
1: Oh, that's a good. That's a good point. Did he like finagle reality so that this person exists now? Yeah. And then Thor randomly falls in love with the next woman he meets, whom I might add, he knew as a child.
0: Well, that I'm. It does seem a little creepy that sentence, but. If you are a race of immortals, that's just going to happen, right? Like,
1: okay, actually, that's a valid point. That doesn't happen to
0: us because we are both always aging. But at some point, if you stopped aging at 20, you're going to meet people you knew as babies who are no longer babies. Yeah. Um, But I agree with you that it all seems very fast. And, you know, we're putting this to standards of 2020 where this could have been a six issue storyline or something.
1: I just feel like it it just strips her of everything. Very fat. It does.
0: Agency and meaning and everything. Yeah, which she's never had in the first place. They're Um, clearly just like dumping her. They have no idea what to do, and they're dumping her. But Sif is exciting, so there's something.
1: That's like the one redeeming factor, is that we know that Sif is a cool character, and it's interesting to now see, okay, what's the new dynamic going to be?
0: I don't know why she's got the letter U on her chest. But otherwise,
1: she's pretty cool. we <laughs> her now to see what that looks like. Yeah, that is a little bit weird. Is that a horseshoe? Is that? I don't know. She's I not how put- I
0: normally picture her looking. She's wearing all white uh, mm-hmm. with this weird U design and things on her neck. I think I think of her more as a red character for some reason. But I'm not really sure what her normal outfit is. Yeah, red with white trim, I think. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to see her. And I guess in some ways, I'm happy we've read the entire arc of Jane Foster. Because it was going nowhere anyway. Mm -hmm. It just seems like, yeah, they totally, they just were weak on this one with her, I guess.
1: And maybe they felt like they couldn't figure out what to do next with the character. Like they They, had
0: so little to go on with her. I mean, they've clearly not been able to do anything with her the entire time. So I understand their pain. Like -hmm. they couldn't figure out what to do with her. Every time they were trying to get them together, they'd come up with some story that tore them apart. So basically he just longed for her all the time, but never actually had any practical love for her. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they, you know, never hung out and did the dishes together or anything. So who Or knows? if they
1: did, it was never in the story. Like, as as coworkers, they probably spent hours and hours and hours together. Mm-hmm. But we never got to see any of that.
0: Right. All I could think of is that one time they went to the fair and Loki enchanted that dude. That's like they were on a date. Mm-hmm. That's all I can remember. Pretty sure they never did and anything. And it's not else like together.
1: we need lots of pages but, of romance or whatever. But you've got to you have know. something to show that they're connecting.
0: If your main character declares, "Never again, my love, shalt thou have cause for fear. Never again shall the God of Thunder forsake thee. My life shall be thine forevermore." I'd like to have some build-up for that, a little bit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. something, because that's essentially Thor saying, "I'm married to you." Um, yeah, yeah, it really is. Like, so, like, you know, if Tony really loves Pepper, but he can't tell her, that's great and all, but the next issue, he's not marrying her. Hopefully, I guess we'll see as far as we know, right? <clears throat> I guess they could do that. Anyway, so I guess we really love this story, I think is the consensus, so
1: <laughs> yeah, sadly this is going to have to get downvoted really hard. Yeah. Um but with with optimism because now there's Sif.
0: It was weird. It wasn't like painful to read though. Like it wasn't like reading a really bad X-Men comic where I just don't want to read it anymore. I was mm-hmm. flipping the pages cuz I was actually excited that Jane was in Asgard and I thought, oh, "Are they really going to do something?" Right, right. And then, uh, yeah, flip the pages and just get more and more disappointed. Okay. There shall come a miracle. Story number two. Garnished with glory in the Marvel tradition by Stanley and Jack Kirby, delineated by Vince Coletta, lettered by Sam Rosen. So if we remember correctly, Thor is fighting Fafnir. Fafnir, yep. Fafnir. So it starts out with Odin watching on video that Thor is fighting Fafnir. And he's talking to some underling and he says, if Thor manages to defeat Fafnir, there'll be a miracle on 34th Street. Um, And then Thor defeats Fafnir. He just does like an electrical storm and buries the dude. Then they free Volstag from his prison because he was the original one that was captured. And then sure enough, Odin watches the miracle, which is that plant life and stuff is restored now that Fafnir, the old evil king, has been destroyed. That's it. That's what happened. Next yeah. issue, A Grim Secret Hath Hogan. Whoa, that was funny.
1: I finished this five-page story and wondered what <laughs> had just happened.
0: That. That's it. So, I mean, it's kind of cool, but yeah, nothing really happens.
1: Fafnir gets trapped in a chasm and Odin Die. uses him as fertilizer for Nastrond?
0: I don't know if like the world was – I thought it was, the world was uh, devoid of – anything because odin killed all life on it but now odin's claiming that maybe fafner was keeping life from growing on it by existing i don't know
1: that might go along with what i think gene was saying a couple issues back about the source material for this legend
0: mm-hmm. that like
1: the evil of the evil king was and maybe i'm misremembering just kind of pulling off the top of my head mm-hmm. was 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 poisoning the land i don't know
0: but yeah all the plants and stuff are growing first where fafner fell so i guess he is fertilizer or compost or something all right. But that, that, um, that, let's, that, you know, considering the last issue was this big giant splash page of Fafnir going to kill Thor, like that was a really easy <laughs> defeat. <laughs> it was really easy.
1: Um, so Gene Hendricks is our Asgardian advisor, um, mm-hmm. and he is uh, a worshiper of the Norse god. So he, we, we like how he writes in and tells us things about, you know, what's interesting in the story, how it might relate to the Norse lore. And Gene says, like last issue, there's really not much to say here. Since it's still mainly a fight issue. The idea of Nastrond turning green and vibrant, though, is a little against the nature of the place itself.
0: Because mm. you see,
1: Nastrond is not Fafnir's kingdom. Nastrond is the area of hell reserved for the dishonored dead, mainly cowards, murderers, and oathbreakers.
0: Oops. <laughs> so it's basically like uh, Norse Australia or something like that.
1: Because Australia was a penal colony at first? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, okay. I was,
0: yeah. And I'm not trying cr- to offend all our Australian listeners. Go ahead. Write not it in. Not present in Australia. I don't care.
1: Their punishment is to be eaten, but not devoured by the dragon Nidhok until Ugh. Ragnarok. Ouch. Um, is that what happened to Boba Fett?
0: Apparently, because he came back
1: alive or something, didn't he? I don't know. So Nastrond does have a dragon. It's just not Fafnir. And it's in no way pastoral. So that's the end of his comments. So they just um, they just Makes went off the them. rails with
0: this. Yeah, they have for quite some time, actually.
1: Okay. So now that um, now that Thor is done playing Wife Swap.
0: Uh-huh. Sif Swap? Sif Swap. Because
1: <laughs> Sif means wife. I love it. Okay. Okay, good. Um, all right. So is it my turn now? It is your turn.
0: Dun, 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 dun. Why don't you Not sing the, uh, the Submariner theme song? Is there one? He did have a cartoon, so he must
1: yeah. have a theme song. But I don't know what it is. Dun dun dun! Is the prince of the deep? Really? That's the end okay. of it. Yeah, he can swim through the water he can rise in the air. Uh, I, I forget exactly how it goes. Anyways, so tales to astonish eighty eight. Uh-huh. A Stranger strikes from space. Oh no! Yeah, lots of siblings there. Okay, so Atuma, remember Atuma? He's um. He it's not no Atuma. Yeah. He's a barbarian. He lives in uh, murky depths, Oceania. He has invaded Atlantis again. Now, I didn't go back and look. This wasn't happening at the end of last issue, was it?
0: No. This is no. a whole new start. A whole new
1: invasion. Mm-hmm. Just for kicks, we thought we would try something different. An action-oriented subby tale with little or no psychological hang-ups or subliminal social significance. In other words, just a plain, fast-moving mystery yarn just like we used to do in the so-called Golden Age of Comics. It won't win any Nobel Prizes, but we're hoping that it grabs you. This is written by Stan the Man Lee, illustrated by Wild Bill Everett, lettered by Swingin' Sammy Rosen. And because we need something to fill the rest of this space, fill the rest of the space that we actually drew on ourselves that <laughs> we didn't have to draw in, Imperius Rex! Okay. So... Yeah. Namor is fighting Atuma Matata, um, <laughs> and Vashti is watching on Skype. He tells the armies to stay ready, but don't attack yet, because if Atuma can be beaten, the barbarian horde will flee, so we won't have to, you know, actually attack them. And we're going to see if Prince Namor can settle this fight. And he does. He punches Atuma back into um, a column. It cracks him, and they're like, "Oh no, he's been overwhelmed." Uh, so the morale is shattered. Their fighting spirit is crushed. So Atuma leads his demoralized legions in a weary, bitter retreat. Goes back home, sits on his throne with his sword. is like, okay, guys, what are we going to do? Uh, my strength is greatest of all, save the Submariner. His power is that of a true amphibian. Um, but he has to be crushed. This is a burning offense to my barbarian soul. Namor must be destroyed. And then a spaceship flies by. Even as the merciless Atuma speaks, a seemingly unrelated event takes place in a far distant galaxy, many light years away. Um, so they've got this, uh, servo robot or Navigo robot or something, and it falls out of their hatch. And falls away from the spaceship and falls into the ocean. Just completely randomly. kind of looks like Iron Man. Well, kind of looks like any, you know, man-shaped robot. Only with pinchers for hands. And uh, Atuma's like, hey, what's that thing on the radar? I'm going to go check who's crossing our borders. So they go out there and they see the the robot. They're like, what are you, robot? Armies, attack this thing. And they're like, oh no, our swords are useless. They're snapping on his iron hide. And he says, oh, my blade should be able to slice with the strongest steel. But it's not even denting this thing. <sighs> Bring forth the Neutro Ray. Um, so he gets the robot and he gets the Neutro Ray. Namor is watching all of this on Skype. And he's like, oh, no, there's something amiss in the land of barbarians. There's some giant robot there. Atuma seems helpless against it. Maybe it's a menace that if Atuma can't even beat it, maybe I should go beat it. And... Um, uh norm dorm was like hey no 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 prince namor you can't leave the city tonight i need to talk to you about something he says I- i'm so glad you're concerned um i realize that you have this superpower called female intuition but um i'm gonna ignore it because that's what the plot requires so imperious rex go on have a good day uh, now that she's gone turning on skype again there's the robot so um, Atuma shoots the Neutro Ray at the robot. Nothing happens. All of the barbarians tie the robot down with vines. Atuma reprograms it and sends it after Atlantis. And that's where the story ends. Next issue, The Prince and the Power. Hmm. This was a very old school story. Yeah. And it looked great because it's Bill Everett and he does uh-huh. great art. But it's not old school and necessarily a good
0: way it's weird i liked elements of this i found myself liking elements of this story but then there are also parts that i definitely think are bonkers
1: and it's i, I feel bad because i feel like we're just like slamming on books tonight but you know
0: they are what they are well i'll say the positive i liked the beginning of this i liked how it just started with kind of a day in the life of war or something you know
1: okay so uh, namor's
0: established he's got his throne he's got
1: his kingdom and, and we
0: yeah and we know who atume is and we know he's going to try this every once in a while
1: Right. And in fact, wasn't he wasn't he around before Krang's last big th- shana started?
0: He was doing stuff in uh, with Wasp and uh, the Avengers, right? Yeah. yeah. He just did a big two-parter with the Avengers. So that's where he's been. Um, but I guess it is like a little back-to-back with the whole Krang trying to take over everything too. But Krang really didn't try and take over anything this time. He mostly just meandered around New York for 500 stories until they finally arrested him. But mm-hmm. – so I liked how this kind of started out just like a big war. And I also kind of like how it follows Atuma on his defeat and his way home, hanging out with him. Like we get to see the side, the bad guy side, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was great. And then this 50s robot falls out of a thing, which was not great. Though it kind of looks cool.
1: Yeah, actually, the more I'm thinking about it, the less I'm disliking it. Because like, okay, so a lot of times they just stumble across some big watery weapon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so at least we saw where this robot came from. The fact that it's like just now and very coincidental is is mm-hmm. not great. But mm-hmm. um, it could have just as easily been a robot that landed from space a thousand years ago. Yeah. Um. Still and a little bit of a cheesy idea, but I'm 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 actually kind of liking it a little bit.
0: It's a little weak, but that's the like part of the only part I don't like. I sort of like that. Then we spend a lot of time with the Tuma trying to deal with this thing that's not even fighting back. It's just standing there. It's just impervious. It's just in his his it's in his territory. So it's like, what are you doing here? And then I like I don't know. I like that Neymar didn't attack because his people are busy rebuilding this thing we just witnessed, and so he's hanging back. Um, I don't know if I like Atuma just reprogramming this alien technology. But then again, I always keep forgetting that Atlanteans and their kind do have advanced technology. So maybe he does understand robots better than he seems to understand robots, right? So I don't know. All in all, it was an okay read. Kind of an interesting setup. We'll see where it goes. But I didn't super love it while I was
1: reading it, but as I'm thinking about it while we're talking, I'm, I'm, I'm getting more fond of it.
0: I mean, it's nice to just have a new story maybe because that there last that. story lasted forever.
1: I don't like how Namor just dismisses Dorma, but also she's not saying anything super con- contributional.
0: I feel like she came to him and said, I have a thing called woman's intuition and my intuition says you shouldn't leave tonight. And I think he did his very politest response to that. Because what does that mean? You know? Honestly,
1: yeah. She, she's not presenting something that is super noteworthy as a reason for him to be concerned. And so he, you're right, kind of politely so dismisses he's like, her.
0: I'm grateful that you're concerned. Uh, and I don't doubt your wisdom, but I am kind of the prince and I have to do something about this. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. He could have been a much meaner because he has been in the past. I but just kind of wish more... He also, sent, say, you know? he also sent her away. Now, is that because she's a female or because she's a subject? You know, like he does have the benefit of being actual royalty. So maybe he can get away with a little more uh, now leave my sight sentences than other characters in the Marvel Universe can.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Like if Goliath told Wasp, now leave my sight, be gone, woman. We'd be like, oh, you can't do that. But if <laughs> if Namor does it, it's like, well, he may have done that to a man, too. Who knows? You know?
1: Yeah. Because he's just that's just his way. Yeah. All right, well, shall I move on to the Boomerang and the Brute?
0: Yes, Hulk smash.
1: The Boomerang and the Brute. Okay, so Gil Kane is drawing up this issue. Yay. Which uh, is pretty neat. No more, no more John Buscema, but he's moving on to bigger and better things pretty soon. Um, I did mean to look up what Gil Kane was doing around this time. and I will do that forg- while you
0: do your summary, because I was just thinking the same thing. Okay. Um,
1: so Boomerang and the Brute, it finally happened. Having defeated the deadly Hulk killer Lastish, our jolly green giant is now hailed as a hero. Um, but just between us, he's liable to get to set Herodom back 100 years. So come on, let's grab a piece of the action. So we got Hulk. Um, he has woken up and there are all these crowds around him, including Ross and Talbot and Bet- Betty. Betty? Betsy? Betty. Betty. Um, right. Hulk amorous script by Stan the Manly. Hulkitudinous art by Gil Sugarcane. Hulkifying lettering by Sammy Dozen Rosen. Okay, so he's asleep. That's great. Uh, reporters are getting pictures of the Hulk. He does not like the flashing lights. Um, the president sees everything going on on the news cameras. He's like, okay, I guess this is it. The Hulk is really Bruce Banner. He's really misunderstood. So um, so he picks up the phone, send a message to General Ross. um, And back in New York, the boomerang is watching the Hulk get more and more agitated. So he throws a flash bomb down on the Hulk, which makes it even more crazy. And the Hulk picks up the news TV truck. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, he's the Hulk. And they all start running. Um, Rick Jones realizes that it's the boomerang because he sees him up there. And he says, General, you've got to calm them down. It's not the Hulk who's getting, who you got to worry about. There's the, the bigger threat. There's boomerang up there. And H- Ross is like, that's an order. You go out of here. I don't want to talk to you right now. Um, so Rick goes over to Hulk and tries to get him to listen to him. Uh, but Hulk is like, nobody scares Hulk. Puny soldiers can't hurt me. Guns all around me. I'll show them what Hulk thinks of guns. They get the bazooka out, though, so Hulk smashes the ground, smacks Rick aside, and jumps away. Nobody can stop Hulk! Nobody! And Boomerang's like, cool, my trick worked. Um, That's when the president's message arrives to Thunderbolt Ross. If, in your opinion, the Hulk is no longer a menace, you're authorized to grant him full and immediate amnesty, clearing him of all guilt or suspicion of same by executive order Lyndon Johnson. And Ross is like, man... If this had gotten here just a few minutes ago, I would have been cool with it. But now it's obvious the Hulk is a problem. So Boomerang uses his flying jets to go after Hulk. But Hulk sees him, turns around in his jumps, and starts going after the Boomerang. They start fighting. Boomerang uh, can't take any hits, of course, because it's just a dude with discs on his blouse. So he's like um, dodging the Hulk's boulders, throwing explodey discs at him. Until fine, um, let's see, I think one is a, yeah, a tranquilizer gas. So I guess these discs are like Batman discs. They can do whatever <laughs> the FE wants.
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: So then the Hulk's like, head feels tired. Eyes are heavy. Hard to keep open. Hands numb. He's doing like the whole rock biter pose from the Never Ending Story. They look like big, strong hands, don't they? And Boomerang starts punching him. Which is fantastic because, you know, the Hulk's, like, hard as rock. Hulk swats him away. Boomerang goes to a dam, blows up the dam. The water swarms down at the Hulk. Hulk keeps hitting Boomerang until Boomerang's like, oh no, you broke my leg. I'm going to fall into the dam waters. So you got to save me, Hulk. You're the only one who can save me. And Hulk's like, okay, fine, whatever. So he grabs Boomerang, they jump away from the water, they grab a ledge, and Hulk is holding onto the ledge with one hand, holding onto Boomerang with his other hand, and the tranquilizer gas that he breathed earlier is making him change back to Bruce Banner, which happens while he's hanging there, and he loses the strength to hold Boomerang, and Boomerang falls into the water and dies. And Bruce climbs onto the rock and is like, oh, if I had stayed the Hulk, I would have been able to save him. But he tranquilized me. Hulk and you next-ish. I cool. say boomerang dies. Yeah, he we never see him again. He dies for all intents and purposes because we don't see him again for a long time. Yeah. So, so he basically dies.
0: Basically dies. Um, fun issue. I liked it. So I if, like this one too. Just um, as we're getting to not like Hulk, he's starting to become good again. I didn't love all of the art. I actually did. I mean, at first I was a little taken aback by it because it is definitely different than last issue. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It was kind of cool. It was like cartoony, but.
1: Yeah, I wasn't in love with the cartoons. I liked the layouts. I liked the figure work. I shouldn't like a lot of the actual details of the of the drawings, the faces yeah. and
0: such. So Gil Kane is a golden age guy. Yes. He goes all the way back. And most of his credits are DC. Not all of them, but a heck of a lot of them. And some of that's even cool stuff like Sandman and Wildcat and that Johnny Thunder dude. Rex the Wonder Dog, a lot of that, if that matters to anybody. But then in the late 50s with the Silver Age, of course, he revitalized or recreated or however you want to word it, Hal Jordan as Green Lantern. Mm -hmm. And and he's still doing that as this Hulk comic came out. So he's Mm -hmm. waffling back. And forth between the two companies, I guess. He's also. We have had him on one other Hulk issue a while back, but only the one. He also revitalized or recreated, or however you want to call it, the Atom. So he's doing both of those still as of this Hulk issue. So I was, I'm curious, like, I guess, you know, there's not necessarily exclusive contracts for every artist or whatever, especially back in the day, maybe, but yeah. So somehow he gets a Marvel gig here and there. Not often, because his next Marvel work won't be until. 1967, February, in this very same book, number 88. So it takes a while to come back.
1: He's well, mostly a DC. Huh? We're on 88 now. Oh. Um, so he did 76 a little while back.
0: Oh, 89. Okay, so he's next issue, and then he's after that, and then he's after that. So he does a little run for a little while. Yeah, just a short little run. It's kind of interesting. It's just like- And then he does Tales of Suspense 91, and then he's back to DC again. Maybe he was just testing the waters. Oh, and then we see him again in Captain Marvel when we ever get to that series. Ooh. And um, I think it's the first issue where he gets his new costume. Does that mean Gil Kane invented that costume?
1: It might be Captain Marvel gets canceled after he does 3 issues, but then he does the revival that it happens for 20 and 21, and that's when his amazing Spider-Man run starts. Okay. So he
0: will be a big Spider-Man artist. He does Spider-Man for a while. Um, you know but- who else? You know who takes on Captain Marvel after Gil Kane? You might like this. Is that Starlin's run? It's Wayne Boring. Wayne Boring on Captain Marvel? Yeah, after Gil Kane. Is that the same guy as Superman? It would have to be, right? I think. I don't know. Whoa. Anyway, so yeah, Gil Kane, obviously a very big name, a legend. I don't know if he's perfect for the Hulk, but I sure do love his Green Lantern, early Green Lantern, Silver Age stuff a lot. And I didn't hate this. It's just definitely different. It's not John Buscema. It's like, I don't know how to explain it. More cartoony, I guess,
1: and I can deal with cartoony. Was just it was just unexpected.
0: Yeah, the story was fun though. Yes.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, So, um, I feel like there's there's some good drama here with the whole you know Hulk maybe getting amnesty from the president, mm -hmm. but then like gets just too rambunctious before that can be put into effect.
0: Scares Uh, everyone again. It's funny like Boomerang's taking credit for being this evil mastermind who makes the Hulk wig out and leave. Uh, but he was going to anyway because <laughs> <laughs> there were already flashing cameras in his face and he was already looking mad. So it's like any second now something's going to make the Hulk like lash out at this crowd and run away, you know?
1: And like his, like his whole like discomfort at the beginning before he starts going crazy. just the fact that he doesn't like being surrounded. Mm-hmm. That is very me in uh-huh. a lot of crowded social situations. i just like, I don't mm-hmm. really
0: want to be here. Okay. Well, you know, whenever he's the Hulk, he's, being attacked or chased or something. So you kind of understand that he's got a big chip on his shoulder about people. There's zero reason for him to think he's going to be invited to Arby's after this. Right. Um, But this is like, we got Betty talking about Bruce. Like they're, they all full on know now that this is Bruce Banner. Like it's not even Mm -hmm. a thing. It's, it's public. It's been broadcast on the news. I kept waiting for them to backpedal on it, but they're not, I guess it's this is it. It took this long to out his identity,
1: which, Both feels like a while and also not very long in the scope of things.
0: Yeah, I always thought it lasted way longer, but what do I know?
1: So there is no secret identity for the Hulk. He is just the monster who is sometimes a man. Mm -hmm. Although, to be fair, he has been turning back into
0: Bruce a lot more frequently of late. Well, that begs the question, like, next time he does turn back to Bruce and interacts with people, how's that going to work? Are they going to just try to arrest him immediately or what? Anyway. Well, he almost got pardoned, too, so are they really going to try to arrest him? Mm Mm-hmm. It's too Um, bad he. It's too bad he wrote it. If your opinion is the Hulk is no longer a menace, instead of right, the Hulk is no longer a menace. But
1: let's Ross make the judgment, and kudos to Ross. He's like, I, I probably would have done it too. That's that's the crazy part. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Boomerang doesn't die, but I'm happy to report that his suit does.
0: (laughs) I think it's funny that like you know, here's this guy he's trying to kill, and then he asks begs for him to save him. Yeah, after doing his own. I mean, he's basically gonna die because of his own dirty work, um, and I wonder if it's the Hulk that's saving him, or if it's Bruce Banner with the Hulk's last bit of strength saving him, because he does talk a lot better towards the end here.
1: Oh yeah, he's like haven't finished changing yet. Maybe he's still strong enough to reach mountain
0: top. I'd like to think the Hulk would have saved him too, though, because deep down, we all know the Hulk's not a killer or a
1: yeah. It does say moving more guy. through instinct than conscious thought, so I would like yeah. to think it was think it was the Hulk, you know. Yeah.
0: That's a cool dramatic ending. I like that. I like that a lot. The whole mm-hmm. like he just couldn't hold on to him anymore, and oh well.
1: If Let's only he didn't trank me.
0: Hoisted on his own petard.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool. Um. Next time boomerang shows up, he will have his classic what violet and blue with the boomerangs on the front and everything.
0: What issue um, is that?
1: That's Iron Fist Eleven. Iron so Fist. Probably,
0: probably never on this show iron fist i've read that series i don't even remember boomerang in that but sure enough there he is right there yeah he looks way cooler like that
1: yeah that's just
0: yeah but now i'll never have any respect for him because i've read these stories so anyway (laughs) (laughs) i knew you when fred myers (laughs) i used to think he was cool because the only issues i've read were like 80s spider-man with him in it but now it's like oh by the way that makes me wonder also he's really into the vengeance of hulk you know like getting revenge on Hulk in this issue. Mm-hmm. When we first met him, he was like a James Bond who was out of money. Uh, so I guess that's not a thing anymore.
1: Was he out of money or was he just waiting for his next big job?
0: I thought he was waiting for his next big job and he had this swanky apartment and then he was thinking to himself, if only she knew how broke I was or something. This is this is going to be my uh, like a hot ticket or maybe I'm making that part up. But he seemed like a guy who just cared about money one way or the I, other. He,
1: yeah, he was a mercenary. I don't remember the broke part. Totally could have happened. I don't remember it. But um. But yeah, he was definitely killing for money or doing jobs for money.
0: But now he's so mad at the Hulk because, I guess, I don't know. Oh, because the Hulk interfered with his last job, I suppose.
1: Oh, he has a secret empire, kicked him out, and blew up.
0: Anyway, that's secret empire, man. Long-lasting effects for no reason. Shall we move on to Daredevil? Okay, Daredevil, the man without fear, number... We've read 24 of these bad boys. 24. The Mystery of the Midnight Stalker, a Stan Lee Gene Colan contemporary classic, inked by Frank Giacoya, lettered by San Rosen. After defeating the Gladiator in Battle Last-ish, the sightless Daredevil finds himself alone and unarmed in a hostile nation somewhere in Europe, a nation torn by strife and revolution. And if this dramatic dilemma grabs you the way we hope it will, then read on. Frantic one, read on. So right out of the gate, he's attacked by gorillas. Not gorillas, Captain Ron, gorillas. Um, And they're like, oh, so the United States is sending superheroes to take us out now, huh? Well, we don't think so. You don't even have a gun. And there's like eight of them and just one Daredevil. And that's not enough for them because Daredevil beats them up. uh, And then he invades their little sanctuary. They happen to have a plane, so good for him. So the blind man flies a plane to Britain, because that's as far as the fuel would take him. Once he's in Britain, he finds a place to hang out in a robe, I guess, and a paper. And he reads with his fingers, Khazar, Lord Kevin Plunder, turns savage once more. Um, apparently, and then he flashes back to like the fact that he knows Khazar and that Khazar's evil brother like tried to... I don't know, do shenanigans with a stone ring thing. They don't really get into that because it's too complicated. But yeah, he's got an evil brother uh, that was defeated last time they all hung out. Um, but now, I guess Kazar has been accused of being this murderer called the Midnight Stalker. And he's holed up in his his castle that his parents owned, I guess. And he's not coming out and they're all trying to arrest him. And Daredevil's like, okay, I'm going to go over there and help him because he's my friend. And so Daredevil gets past all these guards and stuff, and he jumps in on Kazar, who's been holed up in this fort and is super paranoid and freaking out. Um, So Kazar's like, oh, so they sent you too, huh? So he and Zabu, like, attack Daredevil, and Daredevil's like, no, no, I'm trying to be your friend. Ah, never mind. Um, um, Let me take a moment and lock myself in this closet and make a phone call, which we will put a pin in and get back to later. And now let me get back to fighting with you. And oh, by the way, let me try and maneuver it so that you fight until you pick me up and throw me into the moat around your castle. So he does that. And then once they're down there, both Kazar and Daredevil see a submarine, at which point Kazar stops fighting with Daredevil because he's like, hey, a submarine. So they get in the submarine. And it turns out who's in there, but but uh, Kazar's evil brother, whose name I can't remember. But anyway... Something plunder. Yeah, the plunderer. Or, l- the plunderer. That is exactly what his name is. Anyway, they're like, "Oh, let's get Daredevil as soon as he comes into the into the sub." But of course, Daredevil could hear all that whispering, so he just attacks them, and he and Kazar basically make short work of the plunderer and his plunderer-like goons. Um, and then Daredevil wraps it up Scooby-Doo style by basically turning the plunderer over to the police. And explaining to them how the plunderer just wanted his castle back. So he wanted to frame his brother for murder by murdering people and making it look like Khazar did it with cat paw stuff and all this other thing. And oh, by the way, when I called somebody in the closet, it was because I wanted to see I was calling the warden to see if the plunderer was still arrested. And it turned out no, he had escaped. So I knew he was probably in a submarine in the moat. Uh, and then Matt Murdock flies home. And Kesar's like, whatever happened to that masked man? And the last panel is Foggy saying, hey, Karen, you still hold on to that letter that you've been trying to give Matt for like three issues? And she's like, actually, I just opened it. I probably shouldn't have, but I did. And it's from Spider-Man. And it says he knows that Matt is Daredevil, but tells Matt not to worry. He won't reveal his secret. Oh, Foggy, can it be true? Next ish, the biggest surprise of all. Yeah. So what a Dumb story, but a cool last panel.
1: <laughs> you don't like blind men flying planes?
0: <sighs> this just seemed like, I don't know, the whole thing just seemed like, who cares? But but uh, maybe that's just me. I don't know. It's beautiful, again, as always. Thank you, Mr. Gene Colan. Uh, but yeah, like the whole fighting of the gorillas in the beginning is just like a cool action, but doesn't do anything.
1: It's a very light action-adventure story. That requires a lot of exposition to back it up.
0: It does. And the thing is, like, it does ultimately answer every question. But as you're reading it, or at least I found as I was reading it, I kept saying, but how did this? How did that? What? Huh? How? And then, like, there's this big wrap up in the end that sort of puts it all together.
1: And that's not super fun all the time to, like.
0: No. Not know why things are happening along the way. And again, we have a case of a cliffhanger that intrigued me only for them to just deflate the cliffhanger. You know, like we had Mm -hmm. Daredevil with no money or identity or anything stuck in this random hearing. Like he doesn't even know what country he's in because he gets teleported there. And it's like, okay, next issue is him trying to figure out a way to get home. This is cool. But there was no figuring out a way to get home. He just, how did he get home, by the way? Did Lord Plunder let him borrow 20 bucks? What? Um, Well, first of all, how did he get a robe and a newspaper? Just because he's in England now, it's all cool. He somehow has money there.
1: Yeah, I don't know that. That's weird.
0: And then in the end, Matt Murdock takes a flight home, but like he didn't have a wallet earlier. Now he does. How did he get it? How did he get a flight if he has no identity? I think even nineteen sixty six. Well, Daredevil
1: says I've got to raise jet fare, but Kaiser says I'll give you all the money you need.
0: Does he need an identity to board a plane? Yeah, I honestly don't know. From Europe to United States, you don't need a passport or anything in nineteen sixty six. I feel like a passport would be necessary. Where did he get the suit, the glasses? I guess is all he of that in a in a pouch in his cape. I guess he could have bought them with some of the money Kazar gave him. I don't know. I'm overthinking. It doesn't matter. I guess. But the point is, they made me want it to matter, and then they right because they hold, they it, emphasize the whole "I am stuck and can't do these things." Yeah, but then he just does them. So whatever. But yeah, the flying thing. They even say uh, he feels the vibrations of the needles and dials within the instrument panel. Nope,
1: don't, don't like, buy it.
0: That's great, I guess, maybe for takeoff even, but how do you land? Because mm-hmm. you can't
1: <laughs> see the, 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 the landing strip.
0: In England, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and when did Matt Murdock learn to fly? Does every superhero just know how to fly? The kid's from like New York and he's poor. He didn't take flying lessons.
1: Oh, like, like flying, in, yeah. It's like when did he learn to fly? Like Superman, I was, I was kind of confused for a second. But yeah, no, totally. Like, like who yeah. knows, Who knows how to fly? If you sat in a plane right now, could you fly it? No, nope. I
0: cannot. Like, I can believe Captain America can fly every plane known to man. I believe uh, that's about it. Like, I don't know who else should be able to. Tony Stark could probably fly a plane. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure that
1: big steering wheel stick in the middle, like, probably helps you maneuver the thing. Yeah. But how to get it off the ground and no. back on
0: the ground? Takeoff and landing is tough. Yeah. I imagine.
1: But you know, what's crazy. The last Kazar stories were issues 13 and 14. That was almost half the series ago.
0: Mm, it doesn't feel like it. No, it
1: doesn't. It was way more recent. Feels like honestly, two months ago.
0: I I feel like there should be a Kzar story in between these two, because Khazar has now learned how to speak, except for he still refers to himself in the third person. But I think before he didn't speak English hardly at all, did he? But he's been in England the whole time. So I can I can buy him getting acclimated. Yeah, that's true. Um
1: okay. I know we kind of dogged on this issue a little bit. I actually kind of enjoyed reading it. But I am going to ruin the plot a little bit more with science because, you know, that's that's what I like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole submarine thing—he mm-hmm. just opens the top hatch to go in. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. No, you can't do that. <laughs> the hatch on top of a submarine is for entering and exiting when the craft is at the surface. Yes, like,
0: yes. There's no in between room.
1: No. Also, the immense water pressure is pushing down on that thing. Mm. It's going to keep it closed, even if you unlocked the wheel. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if you did get it open, well, guess what? You just opened up the lid of an underwater container.
0: Mm -hmm. It's going
1: to fill with water.
0: So, yeah. And I don't think there was any reason why Daredevil should suspect there was a submarine in the moat. No. I don't care if he called and found out that Plunder was paroled or escaped prison or whatever it was. That doesn't mean automatically submarine in a moat. Mm-mm. That was just too convenient and easy. And and they just defeat him so easily. It's like, this wasn't even like whatever. I don't know. So weird, weird series of issues.
1: Um, Shall we look up to the X-Men?
0: <sighs> well, what, I mean, I don't want to ask you about the Spider-Man thing. Cause you probably already know all about it, but that part really, I had no idea that's what the letter was going to be. That's kind of blowing my mind. Yeah. Is this really from Spider-Man? What the it's heck? It's really from Spider-Man. Why would he do that? What a weirdo. Um, not thinking things through because he's a college-age teenager. assuming, not assuming someone else would open the letter, maybe? I don't
1: know. Right. I mean, he writes it to Daredevil. I mean, he's being clever because he's sending it to Matt Murdock's office. hmm But um, we talked a little bit about this before because there was the thing where he's like, I know Daredevil's in this office. I've got a blind man and a woman and pudgy boy. Mm-hmm why it would be it be the blind boy. man how could it be the woman it's got to be pudgy boy yeah so um since it wasn't pudgy boy he's feeling confident that it's matt murdoch and so he writes to say neener neener i thought i
0: told I, like, I just want to. you know i know he's like i know you're daredevil but i won't say anything love spider-man p.s or daredevil's that blonde chick i've got <laughs> it down to the two
1: pps i'm not very good at making friends is this how you do it
0: (laughs) (laughs) will you be my friend
1: circle one yes no maybe
0: (laughs) i just summarized daredevil huh okay cool yeah for some reason i fell back to our old order thinking right now i had to figure out how to explain this x-men issue but i don't so i'll just lean back and let you do it the x-men 28
1: the whale of the banshee And just wait till you meet the ogre. I can't wait. Because that's the best part of... No. (laughs) I like this issue. The ogre is not any part of why. (laughs) Um, Okay, so New Yorkers are well accustomed to clamorous sounds, but nothing could prepare them for the ear-splitting reverberations which suddenly bombard them one autumn morning as the banshee propels himself through the air with his screams... And his speed is such that he can't even be seen. Only heard. Stanley is the editor on this one. Roy Thomas, the writer. Werner Roth is the artist. Dick Ayers, the inker. Artie Simic, the letterer, and Irving Forbush, the noisemaker. Um, so he, uh, screams at the window of a gallery, steals a painting, uh, lands, turns visible, walks away, takes his painting with him, uh, at the museum. They're like, oh no, uh, We were robbed, but wait a second. Everything's here. We're just missing one Gaelic landscape. I guess (coughs) I'll call the police because we don't know why it was taken. Uh, Meanwhile, the X-Men are chilling out back at their pad. uh, The Angel still has an arm and a sling, and the Mimic still has all of the X-Men's powers. In fact, they're testing it. They're seeing how far he can go because Xavier has done some stuff with the uh, Mimic's brain to try to make his powers uh, permanent, but it didn't work. He uh, flies past the red line and the angel's wings start to shrink. So he steers himself for a branch and catches himself. And Xavier is like, dude, I really told you to stop and you were going to die. And he's like, I'm fine. Whatever. Cyclops pulls him aside and says, dude. And Mimic's like, "Okay, boy, you need to you need to step off. After all, I'm not the one who hurt the angel with my eye beams. And Cyclops is like, oh, why you got to be so mean? (sniffs) Okay. Meanwhile, um, at a well-concealed hideout in the city, the slightly obstreperous ogre, who is literally just a muscle dude in a purple jumpsuit with earmuffs. Why is he called the ogre? I don't know. But he climbs down into their hideout and is like, hey, Banshee i um, glad you're back. Where have you been? Why are you smoking that pipe, filling up our hole in the ground with smoke? And what's up with this painting? And Benji's like, I took the painting. I liked it. Like, you can't take the paintings while you're running around there endangering our mission. Don't you understand? Um, we have to strike within the hour. So you better be ready. I've got to finish my preparations. And the Bench is like, fine, I'll be ready. Whatever. But first, I'm going to go pick up some tobacco because I like to smoke my pipe. So he scream flies over to a tobacco shop, um, walks in, says, ooh, I like this one and this one and this one. Um, Let's see. He screams to knock out everyone working in the tobacconist shop, but the clerk cleaning up the back of the store uh, sees him trying to rob them, pulls the gate closed. Like, have you ever been through New York? Whenever a, a shop is closed, they always like cover themselves in a gate because of, you know. The high chance of of being robbed if you don't. So uh, Banshee just uses his scream, breaks through the gate, flies away. Back at X-Men Mansion, Cerebro is starting to scream. And Xavier's like, oh, no, what is it? It's another frightening mutant menace. The same one I saw last issue. Um, Cerebro is lighting up, but then the light starts to die. Cerebro doesn't know where the exact location of the threat is. Over at College... Gene is talking to Ted Roberts and they're just kind of like, you know, say, hey, what's up? And they're hanging out underneath a tree. They've got their tunes blasting. Um, she's getting Ted to open up a little bit about why he feels the need to compete with his brother all the time. Uh, there is a news uh, announcement about all the stuff going with trances and half deaf janitors. And she's like, could this be the mutant menace that Xavier mentioned last issue? I don't know. It could be. Then um, the Ogre and the Banshee, they get their act together to do whatever it is they're going to do. Xavier sends the X-Men out after them, and there is a fight. And the X-Men don't actually do a whole lot. The Mimic kind of dominates the fight, and Jean Grey shows up as Marvel Girl to help out a little bit out of nowhere. Um, The X-Men kind of get overpowered, so they go back home, and Xavier gives them ear uh, pads to put over their ears and, and cotton to stuff their ear holes with. So next time they fight the, uh, the Banshee, it'll be okay. So they fight the Banshee and they're able to win. Um, They knock the Banshee out. What else? They take the Banshee home, put him in like a vacuum chamber. So his sounds can't travel. They go after the ogre who has a gun, but they're able to blast the gun. Anyways, just lots of stuff. It all ends with them beating the ogre, and um, Banshee is able to take off this headpiece. He's been wearing the whole issue. Turns out the headpiece was a device the ogre was using to control him. But when they beat up the ogre, they damaged the controls on the device, which allowed the Banshee to free himself. He's not actually a bad guy. He was being coerced. But he and the ogre have been working for this thing called Factor 3 which is the most dangerous secret organization on the earth. Dangerouser even than Hydra. They don't say that, but if it's the most dangerous secret Mm -hmm. organization, then it must be. It has the means to conquer the world or even to destroy it. So, more of the mysterious menace of Factor 3 next issue, plus, dun-dun-dun, the mimic versus the senses-staggering
0: super-adaptoid. How would that even work? They probably just don't have powers around each other at all, right? I guess so okay
1: the plot was a little convoluted and a little bit much do about nothing which has kind of been the norm here but i honestly enjoyed a lot of this issue
0: this has been the best x-men issue we've read since number two i think or is it three three i mean not two better than the sentinels with the blob
1: yeah the blob was in number three that was a good one yeah I liked that was that the one. last
0: really good one but so I you don't. say this you like this one more than the sentinels oh yeah sentinels was yawn okay was the Sentinels awesome? They didn't even do anything. They just got captured and then some. Then I don't know. I don't know. I just pulling out was like, that thought. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's Pretty all been horrible. For the and then. I've been and I've been uh, I've been complaining that we haven't had any evil mutants, and now we do, kind of. Mm-hmm. Ogre's not a mutant, but Banshee is. No, Banshee is, and his powers interesting and unique, and uh, you know they do a lot of cool things with it. I don't think his invisibility sticks around, though. Does it? Not that I know of. I mean, that seems like crazy fast that you fly so fast that you can't even be seen it doesn't
1: seem to be like they say it's the speed but like they do the whole like fading in and out thing it seems to be more of a yeah. sonic effect than the speed yeah. effect
0: maybe it just prevents people from looking because they're all busy closing their eyes and holding their ears now this um, banshee I, so I last so, issue uh-huh. go ahead i was just gonna say i don't i'm trying to desperately to think of like like i obviously know who the banshee is i'm pretty sure he was involved in some of that claremont burn classic stuff not every not all the time but some of it but like i can't really remember any significant banshee stories that i can think of but i feel like this banshee is nowhere near what that banshee will be (laughs) like in terms of personality like they got a ways to go to develop him or something yeah this guy more like the debonair uh thief or something right he's gonna get
1: prettier later that's one thing that happens yeah
0: for sure he looks really weird in this
1: well, on the last page, he looks like a who down in Whoville, honestly. Exactly
0: what he looks like, who hasn't grown um, into his nose yet. Yeah.
1: But yeah, he's he's definitely involved in the Claremont stuff. Thing is, he loses his powers, which oh, is what well, kind of right. takes him off the table for a lot of that run. Uh, he comes back uh, into hard. the book, I think, right after the Claremont leaves or right before Claremont leaves.
0: I just remember him talking so elegantly. Like I thought he was more of a down-to-earth Irish stereotype kind of guy, but... Uh, I could be wrong. I just don't remember.
1: He does have a castle with leprechauns in it.
0: Yes. And who knows what is the, uh, device on his head doing the talking and what is actually him also. So
1: there's that, there's that. So Xavier detected a mysterious mutant menace last issue, and they didn't even begin to address the fact that they didn't even know what it was when the issue ended, but they do call back to that, this issue. Mm -hmm. So whatever factor three is, Cerebro is picking it up. Mm Mm-hmm. And we don't know what it is.
0: I'm enjoying the mimic being on the team. He is jerky, but he also has been useful. And mm-hmm. jerky is just kind of fun drama in a way. So it was really cool Did you that notice he could a like mysterious locked door. It, it was cool I'm that sorry, he. Could, I think our audios are dragging a little bit. Go ahead. He could uh, mimic the Banshee's power too. Right, because now he's like
1: like more than just the X Men.
0: Mm-hmm. Is all the powers. What locked door? No, I don't know what that means.
1: Page 17. Uh-huh. Uh, while the banshee is uh, closed up in something, oh. Cyclops is like, that heavy oaken door. is strange. It's been locked ever since we came back from our last That's vacation.
0: Right. I did notice that because they said, hey, you should notice this, but we're not going to tell you what it means.
1: Right. The last time he had a heavy
0: locked door, Cerebro was inside. I think it's Mimic's dad.
1: <gasps> He's been <laughs> keeping him in a closet the whole time.
0: Yeah. I don't know. The ogre was pretty useless in this. Well, the ogre's mission was to capture. So that's, I guess, there's a lot of unanswered questions, which are fine, because they're supposed to be, I think, I hope. How does the factor three know that Professor X is the leader of the X-Men? Um, maybe that's the only unanswered question. But that was a big one, because normally they don't. Mm-hmm. Why do they want to kidnap him? That's two questions. That's the whole plot that, here. That was their goal here, to try to get
1: the capture the professor? I kind of forgot that part.
0: Yeah, that's where he's on page 11. He's walking away with the professor and luckily Gene came home to help them investigate this mutant thing that she heard on the radio and did some awesome Gene stuff. And then he went back and tried to do it again and kill uh, 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 the captured Banshee because he failed. Mm -hmm. And that's when they got him. But uh, yeah, so for some reason they want the professor and they know who he really is. So interesting. Hope they answer that.
1: I do too. And we're going to do at this point something we have not done in a while. Remember back in the halcyon days of the, of the early episodes of this podcast where we would try to squeeze as many comics we could into an hour? Well, we, we've sort of altered our format over time, but we do find ourselves running ra- relatively short this episode. So we are going to squeeze in one more comic, which is going to throw me all off when it comes to like doing our, our voting. We're no longer be doing that at the end of episodes, but hey, I want to get through these comics, dang it. So we're going to toss in Sergeant Fury 38, the first of our comics for November 10th. And um, since we had a small recording break there, Mike, I don't know who's covering this one. Is it me or is it you? Me. Oh, it's you. Okay. Well, it's a good one. So. And that gets us fun. back on
0: track with you starting next episode. Oh, that's
1: right. See, it's all according to plan.
0: Yeah, sort of. This one's for Dino, guys. That's what it's called anyway. Number 38, if you didn't say that already. Uh, 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 editing Stan Lee's script. Roy Thomas, Art Dick, Ayers, Inking, John Tartaglioni, Lettering, Bob Agnew. That sounds new. Agnew. Sounds Agnew. Technical advisor this-ish. Mori, Super Samurai, Kuramoto. Really? Hmm. We'll have to talk about that one. Okay. Um, there is a caption. I was going to say this is the start of a new story arc, but what are we talking about? Every issue is the start of a new story arc. As long as we've got to start our new, newest Marvel military masterwork somewhere, we might as well start at the beginning, as that soft-spoken Sergeant, S- sergeant Nick Fury double-times his men back to barracks after mail calls. So they all have mail. They all talk about who they got mail from, yada, yada. Uh, as they're going back... Fury notes that this uh, Japanese-American guy.
1: Jim Morda.
0: Jim Morda is being harassed by Wildman Wilson and his friend for being Japanese. And Nick is going to step in and help. But it turns out the Japanese guy knows karate because he's Japanese, I guess. And he does a good job. But then they come back for more. So then Nick steps in and he bonks their heads and says, You yahoos, get back to work. Um, And then they're just basically like, Yay, thanks for that. Uh, So they get back to the barracks and they have a letter from Dino Manelli. Remember that guy? He got injured in issue number uh, 35? So he's no longer on the Howlers. But yay, message. And the message is Hi guys, I'm still crippled. I'm doing okay. I'm doing like war training videos. But I can't really get back into the war because my leg can't seem to be fixed. There's only one person in all of the Marvel Universe who can fix my leg. Because that's how doctors seem to work in the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, he was caught in a blitzkrieg in Denmark and he's now in prison. So I guess I'm just never going to make it back. Sorry, guys. Even though we already know that in Korea he makes it back. So spoilers. But anyway, so they're all like immediately like, hey, let's go rescue that doctor. And Nick's like, yeah, that's a great idea. So Nick shaves and he puts on a nice outfit and he goes to confront Sam Sawyer. And Sam Sawyer's like, absolutely not. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Risking the most elite group of squad or whatever just on some dumb mission to rescue a doctor just to help your friend? No, I absolutely forbid it. That said, there will be a plane all by its lonesome waiting to be stolen at night, you know, in case you're interested in that information. Wink, wink. So they steal the plane. Wink, wink. Wink um their new german guy flies it i forget his name already and uh the rest of them parachute out um he's a really good pilot he gets uh, attacked by the germans in an airplane they don't see the luckily they don't see the the howlers jumping out because they're all wearing stealth gear but anyway yeah new our new german guy is really good at flying and he like Outmaneuvers them and it's awesome. Anyway, they make it to the ground. It's on like this island, I guess, an island prison, like an Alcatraz kind of thing, but not in San Francisco. And um, Izzy knocks out a guard, puts on his outfit, infiltrates, knocks out another guard. They find the doctor because a kid scrapes his a kid in the prison camp scrapes his knee, and the doctor goes to help him. So it's like, oh, that guy must be a doctor. So they go to sneak him out but unfortunately one of the prisoners is like just in shock not because he's trying to be a jerk but just in shock he's like oh my god there's commandos and he says it too loud and that kind of um outs them all so next thing you know there's this big firefight but the prisoners to their credit try and help and get in the way and cause like a barricade um, which allows the howlers to escape with the doctor oh by the way i forgot to tell you that japanese american guy um um, was also along for the ride because I think he – I don't know why. He just was. He,
1: he snuck on board the plane. Right. And then he justified it by saying since Koenig's is going to have to be f- staying in the plane, you're going to be down a man, so you need – Right. Help.
0: That's right. So he's down there too um, shooting. Anyway, they make it back to the water where the plane gets landed. Um, and after a couple grenade tosses, they make it into the plane – and they're flying home, and the doctor's like, Yeah, of course, I'll work on your guy. I kind of, oh. Um, and then when they make it back, Japanese American guy is again confronted by wild man. But instead of them fighting, they're like, Oh, we didn't realize how cool you were. Good job working with the Howlers. Sorry, we screwed with you before. And then he joins this new group called the Nice Squad. Nisei,
1: we'll talk about Nisei, that. Nisei,
0: which is made up of more Japanese Americans. And so they're all like, dang it, we wish you could stay with the Howlers, but we understand you want to join those guys. And so they all say, Wahoo, the end. Next issue, Into the Fortress of Fear.
1: So I really like this story. I really like it. But it's it's a little bit weird in a couple of structural choices. Okay. Um, It's a story about saving Dino. Mm-hmm. So you would think that Koenig would kind of, you know, because he's got, I mean, his soul carries a Dino-shaped ball of anxiety. Right. You would think that if we're going to be focusing on needing to save Dino, that Koenig would get a chance to, like, be involved. But he gets sidelined. So that was odd.
0: He does have a weird thought bubble about, "Uh uh-oh, am I going to get replaced or whatever. Right. And then that's it. Um
1: You know, ostensibly, they sidelined Koenig to make room for Jim Morda because they wanted to tell a story about Japanese Americans who served in the war. Uh But putting those two story choices in the same story just felt a little bit odd. Other than that, I really liked this. I thought this was a really fun read.
0: And there was no real particular reason why they had to use that in this story. Because he doesn't Mm -hmm. do anything in particular that requires his existence.
1: Right. So having Koenig be involved would let him stress about Dino where you get that emotion and, and Morda could have been done, done something next issue. It would have been fine.
0: And, and yeah, it was all like a weird vanilla Japanese American history story anyway. So
1: that was a little bit tame, but I was glad that they, they've at least, you know, addressed it. Um, yeah. So they, they give us a new word, mm-hmm. a Japanese word, which I, before even this issue had never heard before, which was pretty great learning a new word, but Nisei literally means second generation. Um, turns out there's two other related words. So when a Japanese family emigrates to a new country, mm-hmm. not just America, but a new country, uh, they refer to themselves as Issei, the first generation in that country. Their kids who are born there are Nisei, second generation. And then the grandchildren, who by that point are probably pretty far removed from actually the Japanese homeland, mm-hmm. they're called Sansei. And those, of course, named after Ichi san, the, the, you know, one, two, three in Japanese. Mm-hmm. So they just, that's just a, you know, a cultural descriptor that they have. And so Morda um, is there to join a whole troop of Nisei Japanese Americans, mm-hmm. which uh, I didn't look up to see if that really existed, but, you know.
0: Well, that's where it's grosser than you think, but I'm not sure if I want Marvel to get that dirty in 1966 but like you know obviously there's internment camps right and they don't bring that up at all so Um, and according to george takei who i just was listening to on a podcast i think it was Conan o'brien podcast he was talking about how like it was ridiculously uh insulting in a way to like not only be rounded up with no cause and having to live here and all that but then to then be told we want you to serve the military that that we are arrested, you know, we arrested you and now we want you to fight for the country that arrested you. And his dad, like, refused to do it because it was
1: like. That is definitely gross. You that's are very correct.
0: Gross. And it's like, meanwhile, this guy's like, yeah, I'm a Japanese American and it's an honor to fight in war. Maybe, so, maybe
1: Jim Morita's experiences are nicer and he's going to start talking to some of his new comrades <laughs> and find out how bad some others have had it. <laughs> yeah,
0: Exactly. Maybe, maybe so, Mr.
1: Takei, well, you said uh, Takei did not go to serve, right? He refused?
0: Well, he was a kid. His dad did not.
1: Yeah, so I meant his dad. Yeah, yeah,
0: I think. That's what I recall, but maybe I listened to it incorrectly. But I just remember there being like, it does kind of make sense. Like, here they are arresting you, and then they're like, no, now you should serve her, the country that arrested you.
1: I mean, they are a little bit gross in this with the racism at the beginning, but it's like it's intended to be, and so fighting back against that is sort of the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Fury lets Morda have some agency and take care of himself, which is pretty great.
0: Yeah. And this is the second time now, because he did that with, with uh, the new German guy, too. Like, it starts out kind of racist. And then in the end, it's like, oh, we apologize and understand now that you're awesome.
1: Right, right. I, You you do kind of wish that they hadn't had to prove themselves, right? Right. So they could have just been accepted. But, you know, that's not the way
0: humans are, evidently. No probably
1: not um captain Sawyer was a delight in this (laughs) yeah yeah i like that he
0: didn't really fight it yeah
1: the 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 open secret on base
0: Uh uh-huh i mean he's not wrong this is a throwaway mission so yeah like it's a waste of their resources but it's kind of weird also speaking of format like you said they don't really follow up with the dino thing i don't know how they would exactly but like he's not Uh, in it anymore
1: I, I guess they send the guy off to the states to see if he can work on Dina, but they don't really talk about that at the end.
0: Yeah, what is, what is uh, with the with the the Howlers and pretty much anybody in the Marvel Universe contracting problems that are just not fixable all the time?
1: Well, yeah, you know how you know Don Blake, that one random doctor in that one random office in that one random building is the only one who can do
0: all these things. That and that time Wasp was almost going to die. They had to go rescue some one doctor who could save her.
1: But he was in the middle of an alien invasion.
0: Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Maybe like the whole medical industry is all Reinstein-like and they just keep everything to themselves or something. Maybe. And then Nick, sure. Nick had the eye injury that's like, going to manifest in six years or something. Like, <laughs> what the hell? What's
1: coming on? I don't know, but it's really bothering him. Like he can't really if – if he <laughs> yeah. closes his good eye, he can't really see that well in his yeah. bad eye. It's, yeah. it's actually bothering him. He yeah. just never talks about it. That's why he's so grumpy. <laughs> that's why That's why he only shaves half of his face. <laughs> Um, we learned that Dum Dum Dugan's beloved mother-in-law has false teeth in this. You can do what that was. You will. But you know,
0: yeah. And, and charges him the stamps when she writes them. Right. Uh That's funny. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, and yeah, Jim Morda, he only has a handful of appearances. He will be back, but not often, not very many times, Mm. but it's enough to get him in the MCU howlers. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm from Fresno ace. Whenever the wow. was like, was
0: anybody in this group, I have been marathoning, um, the last man on earth and this season has that same actor in it. And I was just trying to rack my brain, figuring out where I'd seen him before. And that's where, there we All go. All right. Yeah. There we go. Um, I saw, I thought he was going to become a member of the Hallers, And I was like, wow, they're really just like expanding the roster lately too. you know, but they didn't.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's okay. But they didn't do that. I would not have minded that either, but yeah, that's yeah that would have been kind of neat. So yeah. Sergeant fury 38. That's it. All right. Well, that was easy enough. Um, we're going to wrap this baby up with uh, homework, homework for next episode. Assuming that we only cover our usual four next episode, which is the current plan, we will be covering Tales of Suspense 86, Fantastic Four 59, Amazing Spider-Man 45 and Strange Tales 153. So go read up on those. If you have not yet, we we'll have that ready for you next week. And where can they find us, Mike?
0: You can find us at makearsmarvel.com. The website will have all the links to the various podcast uh, apps that are, you know, most people use. It'll have an RSS feed that you can plug in anything you want to. Of course, it has all the episodes. It has links to our Twitter and Facebook pages, and it has a contact form which you can use to write us, or you could write directly podcast at makearsmarvel.com.
1: I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Mike can be found on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. I have uh, two other shows, three now, that I'm doing. But um, my Image Comics podcast is All the Pouches. It's at All the Pouches on Twitter. And my Transformers podcast, which I was just recording a segment before Michael and I sat down to do this, uh, is return to Cybertron and that's at TFUK podcast. But over on that same feed, uh, my son and I have just recently started a discussion series on the Japanese superhero show Ju Ranger, which is the source material for the first season of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So, uh, if you were a 90s kid, um, or if you like Japanese entertainment, or if you just like to hear me and my son uh, laugh and giggle and make fun of shows that we're really enjoying the whole time, then you should come check that out. The show is called Dino Squad Goals, but you can find it on the Return to Cybertron feed. So that's going on.
0: And, and my son, much to his unhappiness, is being forced to learn a musical instrument this year, and he finally got his trumpet. So if you follow me on Instagram, I will be making really short videos of me playing the trumpet badly i guarantee you (laughs) what's your instagram uh also kaiser the great also kaiser the
1: great awesome so you (laughs) playing trumpet badly or him playing trumpet badly
0: well i've never played it before he doesn't seem to be enthusiastic about it but i'm excited so i'm gonna just give it a go see what happens
1: all right it's gonna be horrible so until michael learns to play the trumpet (laughs) or until Jane Foster and Sif fuse into
0: a single entity, make ours Marvel.